0: Good evening, if you'll take your copies of God's Word and turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 17 with a specific emphasis on verses 12 through 14. Well, thus far in 1 John, what we've seen is that John is writing to Christians, to believers, to the church in order for them to know how they might have fellowship with God. And we learned in chapter 1, that fellowship with God comes from believing in the manifested Son of God, the one who came to this earth and revealed himself to us and that we might believe in him. Fellowship just doesn't end there. Through believing and through faith, we see that that manifests itself in a variety of ways. And one of the ways in which it manifests itself is in a lifestyle of repentance. Those who are walking away from darkness and into his marvelous light. And we see that those who walk in darkness and say that they have no sin in them are liars and they do not practice the truth. I wonder, did that that stick with you, particularly when you sin? That, oh, it's okay. It's okay that I sin in this way. The Lord doesn't see that that's okay for you to do or for us to do. No, he tells us to repent and go back to the light and draw near to the light where we can find redemption or we can find hope where we find uh, that our sins are being cleansed. As John moves into chapter 2, he wants these believers to know that when they do sin and when we do sin, To not forget that we have a perfect advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And if we know Jesus Christ and we believe in Jesus Christ, then we will joyfully. I believe this is true uh, for the Christian. We will joyfully keep God's commands. I just wonder, do you joyfully keep God's commands? Do you live to please the Lord, to abide in him? to love him above all other things and really to love our neighbor as ourselves now there's a temp- temptation when you read john and specific here in first john there's there's this temptation really to constantly uh, ask yourself do i actually have this salvation or not am i the one that is still living in darkness am i the one hating my brother I confess to you that this is the temptation that I have. Am I the one that is not actually confessing my sin and walking really according to my flesh? John, really what he's about to do in verses 12 through 14 is he's going to use poetic language to display some encouragements to these believers, to these Christians who are at different stages of Christian maturity. And that's true. If you just look across this room, we have a whole variety of stages of Christian maturity. And even John himself, you can think about John's life. we, We saw him live a life at different stages. We saw him at once debating with other disciples, who's the greatest, who's the greatest of us? And then we saw him at other times. Looking to Jesus and leaning on Jesus' chest, and he's close to Jesus. Then we see that he's written great epistles for our encouragement. And then we see him finally get a vision of the end times, uh, what's going to happen at the end, where the lion will lay down with the lamb. This man was at different stages all throughout his life of maturity. And so he's able to give us assurances. He's able to give us comfort and different maturity uh, in our own lives. So with that, let's read 1 John 2, 12 through 17, with a specific emphasis on 12 through 14. John writes, he says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake." I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the Word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I realize that I'm a deep sinner and insufficient for the things ahead, insufficient for the task ahead, to preach your word to these saints, to comfort these saints. But Father, I know that your spirit and your word are not insufficient. I know that you actually have appointed a task for us to obey, for the saints to listen, and for me to herald the good news. So Father, I pray by your strength and your strength alone that you would comfort the saints no matter where they sit and what's going on in their lives, that you would wrap your loving arms and care around them, that you would lift up the drooping head, and that you would make them smile at the glory of Christ Jesus. That you would make them hope in their despair father i pray even now lord that you would show us through our own immaturities and our own lack of acknowledging our sins lord where we can obey better where we can love better and where we can believe god in your son in jesus name amen well i I really just want to jump right into the text In these verses, in verses 12-14, through John has three categories, I believe, and most commentators believe, and most sermons I've read on this passage believe, of spiritual growth. He goes, the little children, the newly converted, the babes in the faith, those who are recently born again, the fathers or the mature, the seasoned saints, and the young men, those who are strong, and bold in their faith. This doesn't mean that we all, um, no matter our level of maturity, can't learn or be admonished by each of the other encouragements. Actually, I would encourage you to be admonished by each of the other encouragements. Now, in some sense, we need to be reminded of each of these graces. So I'm, I'm going to address these spiritual categories in the way that John addresses them. So we'll go... Little children, the fathers, and then the young men. So I'll start with the little children. John has already used this term, little children, multiple times to refer to Christians in general. But even more so, the little children here would be the lowest in the church. Babes concerning the faith. This doesn't mean that they are somehow any less Christian or somehow any less justified. Rather, they are the ones who recently believed so John comes to encourage them in their forgiveness for his namesake for the namesake of Jesus Christ to the child to the one who has recently felt the sting of his own sin forgiveness stands out as the chief of all blessings and I think most of us when we came first came to faith we would say praise the Lord Praise the Lord, I'm forgiven. Pardon is actually what controls me. These sins no longer control me. Well, I want want to show you this elsewhere in Scripture. If you'll turn, actually, to Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And I I want to show you this here from the psalmist in Psalm 130. This is one of my favorite psalms, actually. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5. Psalmist here starts off and he says, Out of the depths, out of the depths, out of my very bowels, out of who I am, I cry to you, O Lord, O Lord. And he asks, because he understands his sin, he asks, Lord, would you hear my voice? He understands that he can't actually speak before a holy God unless the mercy of God controls him, unless the mercy of God is there with him. Lord, would you hear my voice? Let your ears, God, be attentive to my voice of my pleas for mercy. God, have mercy upon me. Then notice what he says. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is on him. He says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, if you should see my sin and mark my sin against me, O Lord, who could stand? Who could possibly stand before you if you were to look at our sins? Verse 4, but, some of our most famous words, but, but with you, God, there is Forgiveness. In your very character, in who you are, Lord, there is forgiveness. For what reason? Not, not ultimately for our goodness and our good pleasure. No, he says, for the reason that you may be feared, that you may be worshiped. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in His Word, I hope. If if there was ever a sinner's prayer, this would be it. I believe Psalm 130 would classify as that. Now, the forgiveness of sins is not a matter of degrees of growth. It is done in an instant and done forever, never to be reversed, The child of God who was born yesterday is not as completely sanctified as he will be. He is not as completely learned as he will be. He is not completely as conformed into the image of Christ as he will be, but he is completely pardoned. He's completely forgiven. He is a full-grown saint in the eyes of Christ. Your sins are not forgiven because of anything you hope to be, nor because of anything that you have done. You are forgiven for Christ's name's sake. You see that? 1 John, you are forgiven for Christ's name's sake. And all the saints of God can say the same. Every single one of us, no matter if you're young or old, I am saved not for Jordan's namesake, sake, but for Christ's name say ultimately that he may have all glory and honor and power praise be to the one who passed over the sins of israel and egypt because of the lamb and praise be to the lord that he passes over our sins because of the lamb of god jesus christ you're forgiven friends john is encouraging these little children in their walk He is literally about to warn this church of dangers of the world. So they need, and you need, to remember that you're forgiven. You need to remember the very love of God when you're going out into the battlefield. That he delights in forgiving his children. And that he actually has a forgiven children to himself. That he owns you and purchased you from the grave. Well, if you're not already back in 1 John, I'd like for you to turn back there. John not only encourages the children in their forgiveness, but now I want to show you that he also says to them something in in the way of reminder. At the end of verse 13, he says, I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Now, some of us in this room may not have ever known our earthly fathers. Some of us in this room may have may even be thinking, you know, I wish I didn't know my earthly father. However, the child of God loves his father. The child of God has to know God, desires to know God, and is actually perfectly known by God the Father. And as you think about when you first came to know God the Father, what were the aspects of his character that drew you to him the most, that you loved the most, i think a lot of us would say well i think about jesus when i think about the father and that's actually that's that's kind of right in some ways because jesus says if you know me then you have known what my father do you love christ righteousness and his holiness do you love his mercy and his grace christ is the exact imprint of god so if you know jesus then you do know the father Something I often think about is the fact that, yes, it was impressed upon my soul to know God. I, could, I actually couldn't have come to know God without God saying, no, I'm going to know you. It was impressed upon me. But in reality, God, in his amazing grace, said, Jordan, you're going to be my child. You're actually my child, and I'm going to own you. I'm going to adopt you. And he does this by his relentless love. When you stray, I'm going to draw you back in with my loving rod. More than coming to know him. More than coming to know him, he knew me. He drew me in. He loved me. In John 10, don't forget these words from Jesus. Verses 27 through 28. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are a child of God, you're forever a child of God. That's good news. If you know the Lord, it is by his amazing grace. And if you know the Lord, you know what you possess. What's that? Privilege. We're not just talking about the so-called privilege that the world loves to heap on the heads of some. No, I'm talking about the privilege of a new heart with new joys. I'm talking about the privilege of new relationships under the blood of Christ. I'm talking about the privilege of being united to Christ's resurrection. I'm talking about the privilege of eternal life. And now I'm talking about the privilege of actually knowing the Father. It's a beautiful thing that you have a knowledge of the Father. So be encouraged. Be reminded, Christian, of the forgiveness you have and the knowledge in which you possess. Secondly, secondly, John addresses the fathers of the church. John goes from the lowest members of the church to the fathers or to the wise or to the mature. Or as some commentators say, I like this, refer to them as the seasoned saints. John says the same thing twice. He says, I am writing to you and I write to you because you know him who was from the beginning. John writes to them on the account of their knowledge. It's interesting that John writes to the youngest members and then he goes to the oldest members or the wisest members about their knowledge now this is not just any knowledge but it says of him who is from the beginning now why does he want the mature the wise to remember him who was from the beginning perhaps the mature in the church are feeling their own frailty they've been walking for so long and they're they're feeling their own frailty their own finitude Perhaps they have grown weary in doing good and need to be reminded of the one who is the Alpha and Omega, the one who is the beginning and the end, the one who is and was and will be. That the good works of God have been from the beginning and have never been in vain. Therefore, older saints, your good works aren't in vain if you're in Christ. That's good news for the one who is wise and the mature. That the good works in which you have done in this earth have been for the glory of God who is from the beginning. And you have value. Youth, kids in this room, these there's 50 to 100 wiser saints in this room that you should look up to, that you should be asking questions to, that you should be seeking to live after as they model Christ you should be modeling them. Or perhaps he's writing to the mature because they have this knowledge already. they know the one who is the author and sustainer of their faith. They like Paul have purposed in their mind to count everything as lost except for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus and yet they just need a simple reminder. they just need a simple, Reminder of the one who is from the beginning. I think really the lesson the lesson for the wise is twofold. First lesson is this. To those who are mature, remember the one in whom you first loved. Don't forget him. Remember him always. The one who cast his mercy upon you. The one who brought you out of the miry clay to, to, to see his face and his beauty. The second lesson, which is a little bit longer, you, the mature, have much to offer those of us who are younger. You can reflect on the providence of God from the very beginning, how God has kept you and is keeping you. I, 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 I just remember sitting with one of our pastors uh, five years ago, and we went out to eat, and I was struggling. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I was just, I was tired and I was struggling with my own sin, pride. I was struggling with what I wanted and desired, but I didn't yet have. And he looked across the room and what, what wisdom he said to me. He said, Jordan, this is the providence of the Lord in your life. To have you wait for this. To, to have you wait for a good thing, even though you want it now. And when he when he said that to me, I was sitting back. Man, I was humbled. I was like, he's probably right. I didn't want to believe it. But five years later, guess what? He was right. (laughs) He was right. God's good providence was kind to me then, and I only could see it later on. Like right now, I'm living in the very providence of God, and I want something. But the Lord's having me wait for good reason. And it's his good kindness. I often think about, in terms of this, God's providence, Moses. Moses had a desire in his heart, didn't he? To see the promised land. To go to the promised land. I want this. I want this. God's God's actually commanded me to lead this nation to the promised land. Uh, I'd like for you to turn... And listen to Moses' last words to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 31. He's at the end of his life. And as we read this, and we'll start in verse 2. As we read this, just think about the seasoned words of Moses here. I'm sure his heart was desirous to see the promised land. But the Lord had other intentions. Starting in verse 2, he says... I'm 120 years old today. He's, and, and think about that. He's seen the judgment of God upon Egypt. He saw Pharaoh get covered in the Red Sea. He's seen the mercy of God delivering the Israelites out of captivity. Then he says this. He says He says, I am no longer, Moses, able to go out and come in. The Lord has said to me, You shall not go over the Jordan. Look what he doesn't do after that. Doesn't complain. When we what a wise older person, right? He's not complaining here. He says, The Lord your God himself will go over before you. He will destroy these nations before you, so that you shall dispossess them. And Joshua will go over. At your head, and the Lord has spoken, and the Lord will do to them as He said, as He did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and to their land when He destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, and you shall do to them according to the whole commandment that I have commanded you. Then, verse six I believe these verses can only come from a wise man who has known God from the beginning. What he tells Israel, he says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. Don't be in dread of this enemy. We've seen God conquer greater enemies. Don't be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. And he says those sweet words, right? He will not leave you nor forsake you. That's coming from a man who has known God from the beginning. Think about that. Does that describe you, fathers? Go back when you're struggling. Go back in your maturity. Friends, don't let your age distract you from doing good, both in word and in deed. Keep going, keep pressing, and keep talking about this God who has loved you and cared for you from the beginning. Lastly, John addresses the young men. He says the same thing at the end of verse 13 and 14, but he elaborates in verse 14 a little more. So that's where I want to focus, is verse 14. These young men are the people who in a very real sense have ripened or flourished in their faith. They're not necessarily the youthful young men who are living in their pride and living in their lust. No, these are the people who are assured. They have discernment. They have assurance that their sins are forgiven. He's not having to constantly remind that young man, hey, your sins are forgiven. And considering what he is about to write regarding the world, and then what he'll write later on in this chapter about Antichrist, false teachers, we as the church need... Men need those who are strong in the faith. That's why, and that's where a lot of us are in this room. We're still in this young men category who need to be strong in the faith. Need to lead out in a world that's deceitful and dying and wants nothing but the worst for us. So, in verse fourteen, he says, "You're strong. This strength, this strength, makes a man." able to endure the fiery darts of the evil one. You know, Satan can just toss whatever lies and condemnations he wants at me. I know what Romans 8 says. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Satan can toss at me, toss out at me, hey, your sin's going to condemn you. I can talk back to Satan and say, no, I trust in the Lord and I'm pursuing him and I love him. That's what strong men are able to do. The stronger like Joseph. They're able to find peace as a slave, hope while in prison, and the forgiveness toward those who hated them the most. The stronger like David. Now, some of us may be thinking, well, David wasn't very strong. You know, that whole Bathsheba scene. Strength takes a whole lot more. It's repenting when your sin is revealed to you, when it's brought to your attention. It's repenting before man, but ultimately before God fully and dealing with the consequences. And David did that. The stronger like Christ. Imperfectly. We, we we're not exactly like Christ, but we're trying to imitate Christ. Stronger like Christ. We're able now to carry the cross of humiliation and sorrow. We're able to say, though no one else may follow me with this cross, though nobody else may believe what I believe in this Jesus Christ, still I will go. Still I must go. The church needs those who are strong. And saints, younger saints, older saints, and young men in the room, I just want you to know, we have saints like that here. Praise the Lord that we have saints who are strong. Now notice what John says. He doesn't just say that they're strong, but he says, and the word of God abides in you. You'll not find a man or a woman who's confident and assured in their salvation, waging war against the prince of the power of the air dutifully and rightly and who are not also uniquely tied to the Word of God. Just You just won't find those type of men, those type of women. Those, those people are wholly consumed with knowing God's Word because they know that's where they can find God and know God is in His Word. Jesus even prays for us in that way. John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth not just any truth sanctify them in the truth your word is truth those who abide in his word are going to be the strong and they're ultimately going to be the ones who overcome the evil one these men in whom John is writing to are not only carrying with them this belief this stern belief but they're carrying with them the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It's on their minds. It's on their hearts. Uh, They're not easily swayed from this word. They know it. It's their foundation. I love this quote from Spurgeon. He says, many books are in my library, and they have now become behind me. They're past. They, in their own way, were good ones. I enjoyed them. And so were the clothes I wore when I was 10. I've outgrown them. No one ever outgrows the Scripture. The book only widens and deepens over time. I wonder if that's true for you, Saint. Has His Word only widened and deepened over time? Is His Word consuming you? Is it your heart? Is it, where, is it what drives you? Is His voice through His Word driving you to holiness, to loving Him, to being assured Beloved, the closer we grow to Christ, the closer we must grow to His Word. His Word is His foundation. It's the only foundation we must fight the flesh with, the world and the devil. It's His very Word. Jesus says that He is the Word, which was from the beginning. That brings us to this final statement. He says, in both 13 and 14, it says, And you have overcome the evil one, In former days, we were unable. I think this is true for most of us, and we would all say that. We were unable to really discern good and evil. Now we not only have discernment regarding right and wrong, but we have the ability to overcome, to be victorious. Remember, we were once sons of disobedience, children of wrath. We were unknowingly, back then, the the evil one's slaves. We once slept safely in his arms, Spurgeon says, trusting his words and loving his counsel. He was our closest friend. The people, however, who have come to Christ see the evil one as a fierce enemy. He now only has the power to tempt and to assault us, but not to own us. We are not his Sure, Satan is strong, but Christ is stronger. Sure, Satan is charming and deceitful, but Christ and his truth come so radically into our hearts that we must change. Sure, Satan kept us in darkness, unable to see the light, but Christ revealed himself in radiant glory, telling us to leave the darkness behind. Think about this. Mighty Fortress was was one of my favorite songs. In verse 3 it says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. It says truth is Christ, the person triumphing through you. Friends, if Christ tonight is your Lord and He is your Savior, you can have confidence as you go into this world full of enemies knowing that His resurrection is actually your resurrection. That His death was actually your death. Knowing that His righteousness is actually now your righteousness. You can live a holy life because Christ has lived it for you. You can now walk out of sin because Christ has lived and has died and has bled and has raised from the dead for you. The believer is No matter your maturity has reason tonight, you have reason for assurance. No matter if you're young in the faith or old in the faith, you have reason for assurance and that reason is that you have the very blood of Christ. You have the very righteousness of Christ. You have the resurrection of Christ. Go. Walk in holiness. Walk in love towards one another. Repent when you sin. Love each other. Speak warmly. To one another. Because Christ has spoken so warmly to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven. You're so good and so righteous God. We come to you. Hoping. In your word. Hoping Lord. We come to you asking for more assurance. Asking Lord that you would deepen our faith God. That we would not just stay babes, Lord, but we would grow into being more and more mature. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in many ways, God, to do this and to love you and to keep your commands. In Jesus' name, amen.